Welcome to Anecdotal Anatomy, the podcast that curiously explores the stories the body holds and tells through conversations, stories, and practices. Our mission is to connect the individual to the collective through our stories, so we may better understand our interdependence and ultimately live a more peaceful coexistence. Is that too much to ask for? Each episode builds from the last and contains kernels of every conversation we've had to date. We cover sciencey things like fascia, anatomy, the nervous system, and other body-based sciences. We also have a pretty high tolerance for the woo factor, which, let's face it, is also energy and should not be discarded as if it has no value. We are nature-loving, yoga and meditation teaching podcasters that could, aiming to make the world just a little better than we found it. Our motto is, leave no trash trace, we're only visiting, but leave your heart print with every step. Happy birthday to us! Happy birthday! (laughs) So happy birthday, one year. Can you believe it, Teresa? We've been doing this for a fucking year. I cannot believe we've been doing this for a year. You know what's really funny? I got ready to set up for our podcast for our one-year celebration, and none of my IT works. My camera (laughs) doesn't work. My (laughs) microphone doesn't work. Saying, you know what? No matter how much you learn and no matter how good you get at anything, there will always be those things out of our control. So I think the big takeaway is we're adaptable. You know, we've had to adapt. Adaptations, they're kind of a step to growth, right? Just want to sort of shout out first, before we do anything, to our incredible team that has allowed us to move forward on a path that we had never walked before. And that is Judith George, this amazing editor that fell into our hearts and laps, who uses her gifts and skills to take our sometimes very meandering conversations and draw them together and give them a sense of continuity and um, picks out the, the best teasers and you know, does all this work that, that we don't do. And so thank you to the unseen editing skills of Judith George. Yeah, and if you think sometimes our conversations can be a little meandering, imagine what it is before Judith gets it. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, thank you, Judith. Um, <laughs> and we have talked about Keith Kenny, the guy who does our, who did our music, where all we said to him was like, we just a combination of some kind of mix of Krishna Das and the Grateful Dead. And that is who we are. We are hippies who love, you know, moving and shaking and rocking and rolling and, you know, a little jam band here and there. So he, you know, in one take did came up with the perfect thing. Also, Cindy Thatsis, uh last autumn, the three of us walked around Snipes Farm. So Snipes Farm will come up in our trip down memory lane. For a couple of different reasons, but we were out on an autumn day. Sherry and I, oh, if you look at closely at some of our marketing, we both showed up for our photo shoot wearing shoes by the same designer. <laughs> Mabacol, M-A-B-A-C-O-L. Yeah. Put her in the with, show notes. Without any um, fore, fore planning, um, we showed up ready to go and Cindy took a walk with us and did an amazing job of capturing our spirit and um, an autumn. So it was a uh, time of transition when we began, autumn coming into winter. So um, thank you to Cindy for your beautiful lens that you helped us to see and for others to see us in. And it was the photo shoot was on Snipes Farm, which ultimately became the destination for our two main live programs that we did this year. So yeah, podcasting, we've doing that and offering live programs. We did camp and we did a retreat. Uh, both of them were on Snipes Farm where we had the photo shoot. So there's this beautiful poetry and kind of symbiosis that, that you begin, you just start. You don't know what's going to happen. You don't know that that's going to be the thing that um, is the through line, but that, that's kind of what happened. And you were right before we started recording my little COVID foggy brain, we were talking about like, what is the through line of this birthday episode? You know, what is it for, for you to listen to as you listen to these snapshots from, can you listen to snapshots? Listening to these snippets 
from the various seasons. And, you know, there's there's a natural flow to them, but because they're taken out of context may feel a little disjointed at times. So just to kind of remember that our mission and our our mission statement and our actual mission are the through line for everything that we do. So what we want mostly to to express is the stories our bodies hold and tell. So where did we start? Season one was all about the koshas. So just for a reminder, we have five koshas. Anamaya kosha is the food body. This is our physical container. It's composed of matter. It is the home to our senses. And its element is the earth. And I'm really liking saying, you know, its element is the earth. Because until I'm looking back here, I did not realize how much of the speaking about the elements was carried through to this very last season that we're in. So we'll catch up to that. But the second kosha or the way that they are ordered is pranamaya kosha, the energy body. And this is our vitality, our, our life force. Breath is the vehicle of pranamaya kosha and the element is air. So the five koshas are where I'm talking about them in an order that goes from the most tangible. I started with Anamaya, the body, and we're getting more subtle as I move through the koshas up to where we are now. Third, Manamaya kosha, psycho-emotional body, our mind and our thoughts. This is our feeling body. It's our mental interpreter of things and its element is water. And then we come up, oh, I'm, I'm going to say this, and it reminds me of season one, because in season one, if you go back to this episode, Sherry and I spent some time working on pronunciations and reminding everybody that we are not Sanskrit, Sanskrit scholars, <laughs> and we always do our best. And I think it was definitely in the Vigyanamaya Kosha. Yes, Sherry? Vigyana Maya. See, we're still doing it. We're still trying to figure out. Well, I am anyway. Still catching up on my Sanskrit. This is the intuitive body, our wisdom, our intuition, the higher mind, and the element is fire. And the last one, Anandamaya Kosha, the bliss body. This is where dualities dissolve. We have a peace from knowing our own true self, our authenticity. And the element is space for, for that. Just to co complete this Koshik first season, I just want to mention our guests by name. And each one will be in the show notes. We'll link their websites and what they're doing. And they're all in their own right entrepreneurs, whether they're writers or doctors or dog people or whatever it is. They're all working from a place of entrepreneurial ship. entrepreneurship. Our guests by name, Shauna Ahern, Valerie Gay, Wendy Warner, Amy McKay, and Susanna Harwood-Rubin. Those were our first season guests. Check out their websites and see what they're doing now. There's a lot of beauty being put into the world and a lot of intelligence. And they're so diverse in how they use and share those gifts and skills of being these beautiful, holistic entrepreneurs. And without further ado, season one snippets. Yes. Go. Today, we want to talk a little bit about pranamaya, which is the vitality and the energy. So why don't I just like throw it to you and tell your story throughout through this pranamaya kosha. Like let's define it. You're, you're the girl, you're the woman. I'm sorry. Old, old vernaculars. Yeah. So I'm still talking about my skin. And so this pranamaya kosha, this is life force, right? This is our ability to look at our own personal vitality and have an expressiveness of that vitality. And honestly, when I started thinking about pranamaya kosha, I always limited it to the breath. But I've expanded that to, this is the flow of energy. And in all of my different lineages and the different things that I've studied, you know, the flow of energy happens throughout the systems of the body. So our flow of energy is not just our breath. When I was on Yogapedia today, 
just kind of, you know, looking around, trying to find fresh language or ways to kind of manage the knowledge that I have acquired with maybe things, the, the blind spots that I might not be seeing. And I found this really interesting. They said that Manamaya Kosha is said, it is related to the yogic philosophy of personality and ego, that it is it creates the illusion. We know that Maya, one of the definitions of Maya is illusion or appearance, that it creates the illusion of a separate I and you. So while the skin may discern one being from another, this kosha is reminding us that it's an illusion that we're separate. My skin is definitely asking for my attention. It's asking me to look at it. It's asking me to see it and to love it. You know, I believe that this boundary, this border of my skin is telling a story of being thin-skinned as a child, being way too sensitive, right? All of these different things. But I really, really am spending a lot of time, and everybody can do their own work, of deciding how I want to look at these blockages of energy. And I get to tell that story. So you and I have talked about it. I said, it's almost like every two weeks I go in and somebody with a scalpel cuts out another bit of my trauma. And you, you gave me another way to think about that. I think in Manamaya Kosha, we do have those five senses, but we also attributed the five senses to Anamaya Kosha. And I think they reside in Anamaya Kosha but they're processed through Manamaya Kosha. We can't witness the bliss. We have to be in the bliss. And so because you weren't thinking about it, you weren't witnessing it, you were just in it. Like that is the integration of all of the work that we've gotten to to this point. And a lot of joy has to do with letting go of the notion of productivity. You know, we've been totally sold this bill of goods that we're only worthy if we're working. And it's just not true. And anyone who's had an injury or an illness, I had a, a TIA, a mini stroke in 2015, which was terrifying. And it really opened all of this for me because my doctor said to me, we know that stress does physical damage to the body. I want you to look at every single thing in your life that causes you stress. And then I want you to let them all go because this is going to keep you alive. I've been trying out different practices. So one that I've been working on lately. So I have on my app, in my phone, in my um, reminders, and I've called it today's intentions. And I, to give myself some grace, I've been thinking about what is the least amount that I can do today that I feel productive. And so I was like, today I'm going to do at least. And then I set a timer for myself and a couple of hours, it'll remind me. And what's cool about it, each day I do it, some of the things that I said I was going to do, I couldn't do for whatever reason. So instead of writing them off and putting them on another list, they just stay there until I click that it's done. And, and so that's a way for my brain to let go of the running to-do list. And so let the whole brain be in this moment, if you will. Every single physical illness that we develop starts in the energy field as an imbalance. And if you don't fix that, you kind of play whack the mole, right? You fix a physical symptom, it pops up as something else later. You fix that, it pops up as something later. If you can just fix the energy field, then it probably will go away. What we know about intention and what we know about focus is we attract what we focus on. We intentionally choose the words we say because I want to make sure that the impact I have in the community is a positive one that brings me positive interactions back. Um, in Lead the Way, we talk about how do we honor other perspectives that are in complete conflict with ours and how do we not see that other person as wrong because then we've created a hierarchy in the communication and they cannot hear us anymore. So how do we become aligned and next to each other so that the dogs can thrive, so that the family can thrive? We're in all the koshas all at once. And, and, and the question is like, when we're, when we're in this place, how can we be more fluent, more artistic? And it's not a coincidence that Nataraja is, is the form of Shiva that dances. Mm -hmm. 
you know, and, and he's the artist, you know, because once you've moved through all the other koshas, like it's bliss. It's like, if there's artists, it's artistry and creativity and beauty. So we're moving right on to season two, which was embodiment. Do you want to talk about embodiment for a little bit? Well, you know, I think that so much of what we've done has been in service of embodying, being aware of the body in relationship to all of these concepts that we're putting out there. And that's why we, we provide practices. So for this embodiment season, you know, we, we still had guests. This is season two. And so we changed our format a little bit. Rather than doing the first five on our own, we waited, we alternated. So we had four guests because there was one slot that kept getting filled and then abandoned, filled and then abandoned. And so we took that as a message from the universe that we're supposed to fill that slot. So we did that. And then after season two, we haven't abandoned guests. We will bring them back. But for this season, we had four guests and they each had very, very unique ways in. We had Corey Finer, who's a poet, Rochelle Clausen, who's an anatomist, Christy McCracken, who is, has got a a chronic illness. And so she was able to help us see things from, from her side. And Giselle Mogan, who's out in Thailand right now, who is a beautiful teacher of these practices. And so they were able to come in with, through their unique lenses, share their perspectives on embodiment and the practices that we are offering. In season two, that's when we found our after the becauses. We started to bring in some additional concepts like after the because, really diving into what it is to live in a body. We talk about the stories the body holds and the stories the body tells. I think that we, the stories that we get and the stories that we hear and the stories that we tell and the stories that our body holds and tells at different times in our lives are going to inform different combinations of these energies. And when you were talking about, you know, all of the stories and, you know, our trip through the koshas right into embodiment, the way that we experience the world, and this really started to unravel in season two, the way that we experience the world are through our senses. We smell things, we see things, we hear things, we taste them. We really begin. Your oh, favorite. we touch and we touch them. <laughs> yes, we touch yes. and feel. So. We really, the world ex is experienced in a sensorial way. And then what we really looked at was we take those sensations and we, we give them words. We find a way that we can communicate our experience to somebody else because we created a language to do so. You know, it's hard to put sensation into words and have it be the same. I can say, Sherry, I feel so excited today about our birthday celebration. And she can say, Teresa, I feel so excited about our birthday celebration. And both of us know basically what that means, but neither one of us feels exactly the same way. We just know that we associate this group of feelings to that word. And season two was an awful lot about, we talked about language and language in reference to conceptualizing and telling stories that are experiential in nature. For example, you know, someone can say you are spirit having a physical experience. Some people say we're physical bodies having a spiritual experience. And depending on how that is said, someone who resonates with one and then hears another might be like, oh my God. Maybe it is the other way. I'm not sure if my timeline is exactly correct. And I think it was season two, if been season three. But it was the time when anecdotal anatomy decided that we wanted to move to into an inaction. And our first anecdotal anatomy inaction event. Oh, I'm sorry. When you said inaction, I was like, inaction? Like not in space action, but inaction, meaning oh. not action. No. <laughs> Speaking the power of words, like how yes. we hear them. I, that's just, it goes back to everything that we've been talking about. So yes, anecdotal anatomy in, in action. action. Sorry. So we found ourselves on the porch of Commonplace Reader 
And in addition to really building our relationships and our community with the guests that were gracious enough to gift us their time to have conversations with us, we had uh, many of our local listeners join us for an event on the porch, a couple hours in the evening in, what is it, our small little river town? Mm. <laughs> it was the small little river town, yes. I don't um, know if I would have said small and little in the same sentence, oh, but just... Yeah, you probably <laughs> wouldn't, but I would. <laughs> I really want... My little people, river town. I want to know how... I want people to really know how small and little... <laughs> Small, little, tiny, minuscule, infinitesimal river town. You can barely see it. It's like a dot on the map. It's a teeny tiny little speck. So this season, we're talking about embodiment. And we felt that to start the episode off, this is the first one of our, our second season, we're going to actually start with some practices, just so that we can get a baseline of where we are. And then as we talk about what embodiment is, as we start diving into, you know, the conversations and the stories, you as the listener can have an experience. I mean, hopefully you're having an experience anyway, but an experience that is directly related to this idea of embodiment. But the definition said it gives form to the formless, to ideas and thoughts and feelings. We've been in our heads for a long time. And we've abused our bodies for a long time. It's institutionalized. And I believe that we have collective beauty, but also collective dysfunction and collective trauma. And as one of my mentors says, there's trauma with a big T and trauma with a little T. Could just be even just the whole birthing system alone. You know, our first impression is we are alone and we are not welcome. And it's like, whoa. So, um, <laughs> that can live in the body. But when I think re-embodiment, it is just that presence of giving yourself space, but also curiosity about the self. I've experienced a lot of the same thing. We have been learning, researching, reading so many things about how our body, our holistic body, mind, body, and spirit um, show up in the world. And what is it that we embody? And I'm looking at myself and thinking about some of my own old patterns of maybe not being good enough or being too quiet, not speaking up for myself, feeling traumas and retelling the story over and over and over again, like rewinding, I'm gonna age myself the VCR to watch it again and again. <laughs> I look at I have the notion of what can we express through the angle of a bone? I talk about the sternal, the sternum, like I write a book, the angle of your sternum, what are you saying? <laughs> you know, and the sternum is a really telling bone, but isn't it weird that just by angling it up or dropping it back, you can convey a sense of either confidence or aggression or arrogance or humbleness, meekness, sadness, grief. The question was, when did we separate from the female energy? And I think there's a lot of stories and a lot of different life circumstances that can take us into a scenario where we can say, hmm, this is where we separated from that feminine energy. And you and I talked about this a lot yesterday, that this is not gender. We're not saying when did we separate from being a woman or a man but that there's a balance of energies within us and we can call them female, male, feminine, male, or feminine, feminine, masculine, but it's the energy that we're talking about, not the gender. This idea that if we're aware of this journey, of the map of this journey, then when people come into our lives, we might be more curious why they're here. You know, sometimes it's just to chill out, have fun and laugh. Some people are just put in our path to make us fucking laugh. And some, like you are one of my guides, you have been a, a, a reflection of not only some of the attributes that I celebrate in myself, but also those things in myself that I really want to work on. It feels to me 
Like because takes you out of the present. Because brings me into my head to tell a story about an event that had happened just very recently or in the past. Rather than being present and when that thought comes up, coming into my senses, noticing my emotions, sitting with my personal feelings versus the story, how does this feel in my body? What am I learning? What emotion is coming up? How's it affecting my breath? So living a life you're proud of, I believe that just because you have a chronic illness doesn't mean you can't have a beautiful life. It may look different, but it's the same destination. It's just how you're getting there. And I kind of feel like this has been a big part of my life all my life. I've always accomplished the same things as other people, but I would go about it in different ways. So my life doesn't look technically different from the outside, but if you knew how I got there, it would make you look at it a little different. And so our practices allow us to be intentional about the things that we want to bring into our lives, but they also, depending on what types of practices we bring in, are there for us. If we're practicing with regularity, we don't have to wait until an acute moment. We don't have to wait until we're feeling fear or, or um, pain to bring it in and to start practicing. That's a hard place to start a practice. But if we practice with the daily repetition, and yes, it can get boring, it can be boring. And so we work with the boredom. But if we can work with it in the regular everyday experience, then when we really need them, we go into our little bat utility belts, we pull out, ah, today I need to breathe differently or I need to move in a different way. And we're ready. I do use many, many practices on a daily basis. I would say that the one I use the most, though, is being out in nature. So um, getting my feet on the earth every single day. I love being by water. Um, I'm really, I feel really connected to all the elements of nature. So I like to connect to the earth. I love to connect to water, to fire, to the air. So it's just kind of a, a mindful practice that I use when um, I'm in the swimming pool or if I'm going for a walk in the park here in Bangkok. So that's sort of more of a day-to-day -day practice that I use um, just going outside locally. Let's move into season three when we're building our neighborhood, this, this idea of the holistic neighborhood. And, you know, we, were, we both enjoyed the show The Good Place. So we were riffing on that one day. We're like, oh, well, we could build a neighborhood and we're, we're holistic practitioners. Let's do a holistic place, the holistic place. And there was born season three of Anecdotal Anatomy. Welcome to the neighborhood. Welcome to the neighborhood. So what I really loved about this season was Sherry and I became architects without ever going to college or learning anything about math. <laughs> so that was beautiful. I know for me personally, as we've gone through and kind of come to season three, this exponential growth in my woo factor, right? To feel a whole lot more comfortable stepping over into what I authentically believe, but felt very wooish. So over the years of being a body worker and a yoga teacher and moving on and exploring deep dives into embodiment and the koshas, again, was not my first. It just became much more comfortable to, to live in a woo body. I feel like we need to reclaim some words like woo. I mean, again, energy. Everything is energy. And if we can agree on that, then nothing is hierarchical in the world of energy. Just energy. They're just molecules. They're just these things we work with. And when we put a word like woo, and I'll, I'll equate that to kumbaya, I think I want to reclaim kumbaya too, then why do we have to demonize a word or make that seem less than the hard science? You know, we're getting quantum physics. We've got new neural neurosciences that are coming out. So many things that kind of support this idea of the unseen in the world. Without woo, there's no magic. And I am someone who believes that the world is both magical 
and it requires effort to get shit done. It's not an either or thing. It's not all of a sudden magical thinking is going to manifest your dream. You got to fucking act on it and go out and do it and to make the effort to make it happen. But there's still magic to be harnessed in the same space. So woo you. <laughs> not, not you, Teresa. <laughs> woo you, world. Yes. And woo so, me, too. <laughs> I'm, I'm really... <laughs> and woo me, man. Yes. Woo me up. Yes. I'm really enjoying my woo growth over the years. And, you know, it was in the creation of our neighborhood, you know, being self-appointed, amazing architects, that, which is one of the archetypes, we'll get to that, that we stepped right into was that of architect, the architect archetype. Oh, that's amazing, right? Yeah. We began to build the neighborhood. And as we were building the neighborhood, Sherry and I had so many conversations about building this neighborhood of listeners, but also wanting to build a neighborhood of connection, a neighborhood of bringing people into the same space. And where we started realizing that we wanted to be out with community in a different way. And so we created summer camp for adults. It was so fun. So much fun. But, it, you know, it, this goes back to theory and practice. So we talk about these practices and we have all these conversations about these sometimes lofty concepts. And then we come together in person and the alchemy happens. We take these sort of base metals of, of our practices and our conversations and they become golden as they are filtered through the humans who come together. And so that is something that I hope through our next year that we're able to continue to expand on because the interpersonal piece, especially this, this podcast was born during COVID. I'm not saying my COVID, but the COVID, <laughs> the big COVID. And so it came sort of at the end of quarantine where, I, I mean, I was reluctant to be in community with people. And Teresa, I want to put this out to you. Thank you for for nudging me out of my comfort zone to do these programs that have brought these conversations to life and to light in a way that otherwise would remain academic. We have been on many adventures, nudging each other in the places. And I think that's a good time at this six month anniversary. So we came out to camp, we hula hooped, we blew bubbles, we went for walks in the woods, and and we learn to adapt. It, well, this is a group of people who are growing. I mean, the community continues to grow with each thing we do. They exemplify, this community exemplifies our mission. Almost everything you said, they came because they wanted to, for me time, the individual self-care me time. They also wanted to connect to the collective. They wanted to be part of the community, which of which they already were. But to be able to manifest that in a way that felt satisfying and nourishing and all of that. And that, that, these are the unexpected things that happen when you just go out and fucking do it. That really um, kind of synopsizes what we're doing is that, yes, this is science and stories, but it's not designed to be a replacement for other science that uh, you're going to study for whatever your goal is. It's science that will be presented through stories in ways that we can embody it, understand it, conceptualize it, but not in an effort to be confusing because, you know, we, this is a audio podcast. There's not a lot of visuals that go with it. So it's not about diving so deep that it's going to be confusing, but to help us to make that connection between how our body functions and how we can build a stronger neighborhood and a stronger community. So you bring us beautifully into the third piece of fascia, which is the connective tissue system. You know, that all of those things we can request, we can, you know, form and deform according to that. Um, but there's this whole network within this body, this fascial system, that both sheathes the entire collective of the body and yet 
individually wraps every muscle fiber, every every piece of the body in its own individual thing. And I know you've talked about the orange before, but this idea of, you know, uh, when you peel the orange and there's that white kind of, you know, film on the outside that covers the whole orange, but that you were saying the other day that every section is also covered in that film. And then within that, every little pulpy part is also wrapped. We're also going to use that architect or being architects as metaphors for the architecture of the body and how this body is formed, how it relates to each other. And also that same idea that you were just talking about, that it's always in this constant state of evolution, that things break down. And we talked about that in our last episode that, you know, the body deforms and reforms. So it is also constantly in a state of construction. We have an offering coming up. Yes, we do. We have camp Uh, as adults. It's an adult camp. We are going to have four separate Sundays that we will be meeting um, in the afternoons for two hours. Location to be announced soon. What we've decided to do was for the next four episodes of this podcast, we're going to let the themes coincide with the themes of camp. So camp is an acronym. And um, we're not going to give it all away. We'll, let, we'll, we'll slowly tease out what the acronym is for. But C, is because today is, is the first day of the rest of our lives, we'll start with the first letter. Um, C for camp is community, communication, and connection. The fascial <laughs> network, that's what we're going to talk about today. The richest sensory organ in the body. It's nicknamed the great internal communicator, abundantly filled mm-hmm. with sensory information. Our life, we talked about this in season one, Mm -hmm. that we experience life through our senses, through how we feel. And then we have a language to try and communicate them, which is exactly what we're trying to do right here, Mm -hmm. right? We feel life and then we give it words so that we can organize it in our mind and communicate it to others. A synonym for alignment could also be integrity. Are you living in alignment? Are you living in integrity? And, you know, we're talking to, to all of you, but we are yoga teachers and yoga students and body workers. And so through that lens, we look at alignment. It's not just your posture. It's not just ears over shoulders, over hips, over heels. It's not just anatomical neutral, Tadasana, Shavasana. You know, we have all of these poses in yoga that allow us to express different shapes, different postures. And depending on what our particular stories are, you know, there, we always say there's no one size fits all. And that's true. There is no one size fits all, which and all that means is that no two asanas should look the same. No two postures, no two of the poses, yoga poses. Yeah, you mentioned that I said, you know, play like a child. That actually came from Dr. Schleip in, in my fascial fitness training. As part of the training, yes, we did yoga. We did all different types of movement activities. And somebody asked him what was the best one. And his answer was, they're all good. They all have different ways, different way of movement, different way of play, have different effects on the body. But he was the one who first said to me, if you want to have the body of a child, play like a child. I went on to my smartphone because my phone is smarter than I am. I think we all have a sense of that. And within seconds came up with a short list of the benefits of play. The Bennett play helps relieve stress. It improves brain function, stimulates the mind and boosts creativity. It improves relationships and your connection to others. It keeps you feeling young and energetic. Play helps develop and improve social skills. Play teaches cooperation with others, and it can help heal emotional wounds. And this is all from something, the benefits of play for adults at helpguide.org. Even though we have the practices, sometimes there's a resistance to them. And I'm trying, I was thinking while I was listening to different stories, is it a resistance to the practices and to self-care? Or is it a matter of priority that, you know, we have a lot of obligation to work, family, you know, cleaning the house, doing the food shopping, whatever that list of chores are that we know have to get done. 
And when you look at them, you know, they absolutely have to get done. There needs to be food on the table. So is it a resistance to approaching and, and carving out the time or is it a priority issue and the things that have to push it to the side a little? Yeah. Ubiquitous. You, ubiqu I can't say. You write it down. Ubiquitous. It's like Piscetti, right? Was it? Ubiquitous. Ubiquitous. Ubiqu Quit us. You big quit us. <laughs> okay, we got it. <laughs> we got it, babe. Fasha <laughs> Fasha is you big quit us. <laughs> the community that we are building, this holistic place that we we feel so strongly about, requires that you take care of yourself too. You know, you do that there will be no judgment, there will be no, you know, repercussion for not participating. In fact, not telling a story wasn't not participating, but it was actually participating more fully by listening. There was a presence that was a little bit different. And I will say just from my own perspective, because when you're waiting to tell a story, you might be listening, but there's still going to be a piece of you that's rehearsing the story you're telling. Am I going to say this? How am I going to? Maybe not you. Maybe this is just me. I intend to listen 100%, but if, when you're in a circle and people are, you're like two people away from my story. You know, yeah, I'm going to be thinking about, well, how am I starting this again? What am I going to say? How am I going to say this? And But I did notice in the two campers who chose not to speak that there was a full sense of presence of listening. And that's, I think, one of the beauties and benefits of taking time in silence to experience the world from your own space without you know, feeling like a silence needs to be filled with a conversation. That relative silence of being able to really just embrace time in community, in the, in the container of community, in the container of the neighborhood to experience silence and some time and space for our own exploration of that external and the internal environment while we stroll, you know, the, the body holds the stories. Everything. We, yeah, we, we don't, don't get want to choose. We don't get to choose what the body is holding. We get to choose, though, what we, see. Well, I don't know if we choose it, but where our attention is drawn is where, you know, the story then takes on layers of meaning. Whether it's trauma or whether it's joy or whether it's anything in between there, all the shades that you know, that can't necessarily be categorized as joyful or traumatic. You know, sometimes they're just the diurnal experiences that we experience that, you know, don't, are not remarkable in either way, in any way. So now we move into season four, where we're getting into the science and stories part. We do tend to, to be heavy on the anecdotes because that's, that's our biggest pool of experience from which to draw. Teresa, you know, I, I, in the beginning, I think I laid all the science on her. I'm like, you do the science part. I don't want any part of that. But what I learned was that there's more science in this anecdotal brain than I had even thought of. We have found a nice balance of sharing the stories and the science and how they kind of meld together and create a beautiful wholeness. Yeah. You know, one of the things that I love the most about what you just said, where you just kind of delegated the science to me and the anecdotes to you is that there are just so, so, so many examples throughout the time when you told all the science story and you were the one filling in all the science. And I, and like you said, you know, they just, whew, all this stuff that's already there was so interesting, but kind of one of the things that I'm really passionate about is that I believe that our body is a small universe and I believe that it mirrors the larger universe in its ability to be integrative and connective. When we talk about the individual to the collective whole, that is how our body is designed in a variety of systems that are all connected. And for me, that connection is one of those connections is the fascial system that touches every single thing in the body and using how our body functions as a metaphor for how to build a community to the that's okay. I, had to the <laughs> I didn't want it to dry out. 
Uh, Fascia. The, the Fascia system, yes, it was, it was the metaphor or the, not even the metaphor, but maybe the overarching system that we used to develop our neighborhood. We wanted to develop a neighborhood that was sensorial and deep and rich with feelings and receptors to be able to communicate them. We wanted it to be an integrative community, a whole, the holistic place where it deforms and reforms based on the request of that community. So it continues to grow with more and more people who are listening, more and more people who are coming to events who are saying, we'd like to see this and could we also do that? But if our body can integrate all of its systems to work in such an amazing, magical and efficient way with each system interrelated and interdependent on the others, that is the universe. That is our connection to the whole, and we are not separate. No. And so when, when people say you have everything you need inside you, you are your best teacher. Yes, and it's, it's nice to have a guide sometimes to be able to take us to places that we don't, where we don't have a map yet. But yes, if we contain the whole universe within ourselves, then it just stands to reason that there's nothing outside of ourselves that we actually need. Talking from Pennsylvania, which is the Keystone State. And Keystone, when I had taken, I've taken many courses from Teresa. I've taken her anatomy classes. I've taken her yin training and many of her offerings in public classes. And one of the things, I think the first time I was actually offered a definition of a Keystone was in one of your trainings. And so I feel like there's a lot of poetry around naming the people who are showing up at the beginning of our experience are Keystone members of this community. And that's not to say it's limited to just those people who are coming in now, but there is something essential about a keystone. And so science girl, go. <laughs> so I'm hoping I'm going to get the order right, but this is how I remember it. In architecture, the Greek, ar Greek architecture is built with columns to hold up a, a structure and then flat roofs, old Greek architecture. And throughout history, Based on gravity in that, in that design, two uprights and a flat, the architecture would eventually crumble beneath the weight of gravity. In Roman architecture, we see a introduction of arches. And at the very top in the center of the arch is something that's called the keystone. And it is the very top, the very center. But once the arch was developed, then gravity is distributed around and holds it in rather than places it on top. So the keystone is the strength in the community. The keystone is the strength of the structure. It is the place that in some ways bears the weight, but yet is the wisdom and knowledge to be able to distribute it throughout the, in the entire community so that it works as a collective whole. And there you have it, people. There's so many different intentions that we can put behind why we're sharing a story. And whether, you know, whether we're a good storyteller or we describe ourselves as a bad storyteller, like, oh, I'm not such a great storyteller. But we all have such amazing stories that when we share them and we bring out our personality and our vibrancy or our sadness or whatever the story is about, it's the emotion and the being real, uh, I think, that is such a powerful part of the whole um, why stories are important. I remember when my oldest, she was in a, a gymnastics class when she was very little at a local gym. And she cried every time I would have to give her away. She would be in my arms clinging to me. And the gymnastics teacher, who I'm still friends with on Facebook, who I love, she would have to extricate her from my arms, physically remove her from me to take her into the class. And I remember one time she said to me, mommy, aren't you sad that I'm so sad? And I said, honestly, no. I said, you know, what would make me sad is if you went through your entire childhood and didn't do anything interesting or fun because you were a little scared. You know, the recognizing that sometimes there needs to be a separation from 
maybe it's uh we're using the word feminine but maybe it's just a separation from the known into the unknown that is what we're really talking about the willingness to take that step to yeah. take that to take that journey and that journey of separation might be it's time for me to go off to college and there's a separation of what I know, what I understand, where I feel comfortable and nurtured and nourished. And now it's time to go off into the unknown or switching a job. There's just so many different ways where we can look back at, I can look back at my life and say, here are the different times that I can look at where I've had a significant separation. Mm -hmm. I kind of noticed our backgrounds. My background is kind of stark and white. I don't even have a picture hanging on my wall yet. <laughs> and um, so this, you know, I'm looking at it thinking, well, this is a symbol of control. I have everything like really pristine and clean and uh, <laughs> with nothing there. And then in contrast to your background, which is filled with color and books and our beautiful anecdotal anatomy sign and a skeleton in your background and all. Um, I think you even have a crystal ball. <laughs> yep, I do. And I'm holding it in the palm of my hand right now. <laughs> there you go. There's your crystal ball. <laughs> so this idea of me identifying with control and having things orderly around me helps me not feel stressed. So when we're in the middle of an acute situation where we're suffering, you know, it's hard to know that there's growth, that there's, you know, I had a friend who once said, the worst thing you can say to someone who's, who's suffering is everything happens for a reason. Well, I do believe everything happens for a reason, but I also believe there's a time to say that. <laughs> and it's not at the time when someone is bleeding all over you and is wounded and is feeling, you know, all of that, that suffering. The time is with perspective after the fact. Ask the question, what did you think you learned from it? How did you grow from this experience? And the more experiences that we have that we can grow through, the more we know next time that we will survive it, that we will get through it, that this is impermanent, that the high, the high times, the good times are impermanent, and so are the low times. I have ventured now into two no-nos. We never talk about religion or politics. I'm not actually going to talk about politics. I'm just going to use the word politics. There are so many things that need to be healed in our world, and very little, if any of it, will be solved at the political level. It has to be solved on the interpersonal level. And there is nothing more spiritual in my mind than connecting with other humans and animals and nature and leaving everywhere we go just a little bit better than we found it. You know, even if even if it's not better than we found it, planting a seed that will one day grow into better than we found it. <laughs> you know, that's the name of the seed. The name of the seed company is better than we found it. So, for example, if you're, you know, talking to someone who's suffering, you may not leave that experience with that personal heal. You may even feel a little more sadness when you leave that experience. But the potential for healing has been offered. That inward thought before we act might be exactly what we're talking about. You know, action is a really important part of life, but to really be discerning, and that's a word that I've heard you use many yeah. times, and I've really learned to love that word, to have enough discernment to think before acting, to pass it through our energy body and see how it feels to make a choice or make a decision. Yeah. And then to also know is this a decision or a choice that I'm making that impacts me alone? Mm -hmm. Which very rare, I'm come to find out in life, there's very few things <laughs> that I do say or act that only impact myself. Right. That there are other ripples that come out that impact the people in my life, either very specifically or maybe, you know, a little bit far down the ripple, they're touching others. I have always lived a fairly sukkah heavy existence. Yeah, y'all get to it later. You know, I've just kind of give myself the permission a lot to kind of, you know, extend the boundaries if there are any. And so my work has been to build some stira, some actual energy, which could be referred to as male energy, that outward energy that gets shit done. You know, in this, they're saying the feminine energy allows us to fully be and the masculine energy allows us to fully do. And so why would we choose one over the other? But our natural rhythms and energies will lend themselves maybe more distinctly to one over the other, which, you know, in Finding Balance, you have said it's not about equality of energies, but balancing them out. When we stepped into the forest, there was a threshold. And what I learned 
and was taught was stop at the thresholds of life. Stop at the thresholds of the places that you enter, whether it's your own home, your office, out into nature, the grocery store. There are thresholds that give us an opportunity to take a pause, take a breath, and maybe set an intention. And the intention can be simply, you know, ah, I'm going to breathe with ease, you know, or Whatever that is that's important to you, it doesn't have to be anything big. And I learned something that I I really, really, really needed. And that was that I didn't recognize how much I needed to slow down. Intention is everything. And, you know, as as I was reading and sort of trying to compartmentalize and connect these dots of you know, retreat and refuge and, you know, you and I came together because we we do these things. They, we've been practicing for a while. We have a natural inclination to, to be in wonder as we wander. So I feel like what the reason we have magnetized together on one level is so that we can share that with others. So that those who may be more like the hare and moving very quickly through their lives and you know, sort of quick, 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 and then there's a bit of burnout, so you take a rest, and then you think that you're just keep go, 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 that we have a really, I think, important opportunity to be able to offer these practices in a way that um, is, is positive, has benefit to others in their daily lives. Instinct, intuition, the senses are really, really important part of our communication style. Yeah. Even when we're not paying attention to it, did you ever go outside and and you notice that you can taste? Like sometimes I'll be outside after a rainy day and I was like, ooh, it tastes earthy out here. It, because is it scent? Is it taste? But intuition, I believe, and instinct, sometimes for me, I feel like they're hard to separate. I think it all has to do with a mindful awareness of tapping into self, tapping into our own into, um, our own senses, and paying attention. Like this mindfulness uh, is a way of sharpening, and meditation is a way of sharpening our connection to thoughts and sensation and feelings. I wrote, abbreviate, don't abandon. So rather than doing 20 minutes of asana, I'll do four half sun salutations. I'll come over, I'll do my chanting three times instead of, or nine times instead of 27. I do, I'll do my breath work for two minutes and then sit for 10 minutes rather than, you know, but instead of abandoning it, which is an easy out, it's easy. And I've done that for years and I didn't have a sadhana for years. My, my formal practice was completely at, at a studio. It was public classes. It was trainings. It was workshops. It's only been in the last few years that I've created a sadhana. But that is only to say that like, they, it's so easy to succumb to that desire. Just like, I don't have the time. And time is one of those excuses that feels real, but is just an illusion. It's one of those hard, compassionate truths that you have to say, no, you don't have to give it all up. Just You could sit for three minutes. I just learned recently something called the fox walk, which is a slow walking outside with my toes in the earth. But this is a way to kind of orientate ourselves to where we are right now in whatever that transformation we're experiencing. And, you know, I personally think we're all in the middle of a major transformation. A lot's happened in the last few years. And, you know, we're all looking at new ways of doing things. So in the importance of connecting with Earth slowing down, becoming, you know, taking the time to look at what is in front of us right now and make clear choices. Who have I been and who am I becoming? How am I changing in relation to whatever's going on in my personal life, in the collective, uh, is what's going to happen next? We want to celebrate Season five, we're actually just at the beginning. So much of what we realized as yoga teachers and yoga students, constant students, is that, you know, many of the people who gravitate and magnetize to these conversations are part of spiritual communities. They're part of, you know, either movement, body-based, you know, yoga, meditation, this kind of qigong. I mean, whatever it is that informs that part of, of you, you're coming in for this. 
And so we thought maybe we should talk about yoga in a broader sense. And this is not limited to just yogis, yoga students and teachers, because the language may be specific to this system, this beautiful, complete system. Um, it also is more than we think, because in our culture, we were talking about how we either, you know, see, the, uh, put a lot of weight on our minds or on our bodies, or we separate these things out. That when, if I were to say the word yoga to any person on the street, first thing I guarantee you, I will answer after their because they will immediately think of the yoga poses, you know, the asana, the thing that, that you can see on the cover of yoga journal that, you know, for better or worse. And so and there are great articles in yoga journal. I will not demonize a magazine that I loved for so many years, but I've grown too. And I feel like, you know, that there's a place in the conversation for that. So we don't ignore asana, but like the koshas that seem to be, have a certain hierarchy to them, but they're all the same size. Yoga is made of eight limbs, eight different things. It's not just the asana. So we want to be able to explain, talk about, maybe not explain, explain is not the right word, but have a conversation about the eight limbs that gives equal weight to each one of the limbs. And that's not to say that, you know, if you're someone who's overly physical and that's the vehicle, that's the way in, don't chuck it in, you know, in service of the other things. Maybe you just add in elements of the others to see how that interacts with your asana. How does meditation, how does breath work? How do these things actually, how does, you know, single point of focus, how do all of these different things, the ethical treatments, the, you know, yamas, niyamas, how do they enhance or detract? Because depending on where you are on the path, you may need a little extra dash of this, a little more of that, a little less of that. So again, like everything else, the proportions are up to you but know that they exist and know that they're there to be part of a system that is bigger than asana. There's a lot of recipes that can come out of that yoga eight to suit any lifestyle, any need, any retreat, anything that you need to restore or strengthen or grow or, you know, calm down, relax. The, the yoga eight is filled with practices and philosophies for everyone. So, you know, I've heard from people in uh, on my table or that I've met or in studios who say, I can't do my yoga because my shoulder hurts, or I can't do my yoga because, but actually, you know, yoga eight shows us that there are so many different ways for it to be a lifestyle of choices that are available to incorporate or to learn more of, to do a deeper dive in study. And so if we, we've become so desensitized to this, this idea of awe because everything is awesome. You know, oh, you, you, you picked up that ball that rolled under the car. That's awesome. Good for you. Well, no, that's good for you. But is that truly awesome? And so when we can touch that, and I think in yoga, sometimes when we're in Shavasana, I will talk for myself, that is where I can touch the hem of awe, that there are moments and I've only had a few in Shavasana that have been transcendent, that have been sort of out of body perspective experiences. I can't say that I've had it in the asana as much, sometimes in meditation, sometimes in breath work. But so we're going to get into these are all the different limbs. All we have eight limbs of this practice we call yoga. It's not just asana, the thing that we think about when we're looking at the cover of yoga journal. You know, you just mentioned nuances and that we're talking about what feels like a gift. And even the reframing of like, what are you grateful for is a really great question. But sometimes it sounds cerebral, like, what are you grateful for? Mm, let me think about that. But when it's changed to what feels like a gift, it brings us back into our sensing body to tap into our own senses, to really stay connected to our feelings and let them inform what this gratitude is or this gift is because we felt it, not thought, not had to like, oh, I wonder what I'm grateful for this year. Sounds so much more like a thinking question. Your abundance is not taking someone else's away. There's enough for everyone. And part of this practice is when we know we have enough, then a can just naturally arise. You know, it's, it's that knowing that we have everything we need inside of us. 
and that once we have that that internal knowledge, there's no need to steal. And, you know, but there's also, you know, if we are someone who stays in our comfort zone, for example, you're stealing your potential. When we underestimate ourselves, when we don't recognize our own talents, our gifts, our skills, we rob ourselves of of growth. We're stealing from the possibility that we could be more than what we think we are or even who exactly we are. In reference to what you were saying, that the niyamas are called personal observances, right? So yes, there are all those things that we're working on, but I also like that it's framed in a way that we get to observe self and notice through these lenses. It's not saying personal perfections or personal must-tos. It's personal observances to notice how we fall in any given moment or different times in our life to these principles and these observances. When are they in balance? When are they out of balance? And how do they fit in at different times? I have to say that this past year has been transformational. We did so many deep dives in everything from the koshas to the heroic journey, which we haven't even talked about. So you'll have to go back and find that season from designing a neighborhood, really taking a deep dive into these concepts, these principles has changed me considerably. I just want to say that in, even in you know, Rhythm and Rhyme, you mentioned was the retreat that we did at the end of this, at this, of this first year. And we did implement a lot of the limbs of yoga. We did offer that. We were able to offer practices in real life that if someone had said, oh, that's yoga. And you're like, is that yoga? That's yoga. <laughs> you know, paying attention, being present. And all of this starts with awareness. Awareness of either a desire, awareness of a need, an awareness of you know, where you are in the world at that moment. But without the formal practice, I don't know that I would have been able to understand where the violence also lives inside of me so that I can work with it. And so that's my lifelong practice. And that's Yoga 8 to me. And it just reminded me in reference to Yoga 8 that building an awareness with your breath as simple or as complicated as that sounds to anyone, is practicing one of the limbs. It is one of the parts of yoga that maybe we don't pay attention to. And for many, just breathing to find a way to release anxiety and come to a place of ease might be that step in. It might not be asana, even though that's how we frame yoga. So as we move forward, Yoga 8 will dive much deeper in because we are, we've already started recording, but it'll take us into our second full year, as well as, you know, little teasers. We have some things coming up. We're not going to give you too much today, but know that the foundation has been poured. The neighborhood has been built. And so pay attention because you're going to emerge with us. And you already are. And you already are. And happy birthday to all of you for uh, there's so many of our listeners out there. Uh, thank you for reaching out and letting us know that you hear us. And also happy birthday for hanging out with us for the year. Happy birthday to us. <laughs> to you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening, for rating, reviewing, and subscribing to our channels and other stuff. Thank you for inspiring us to have these conversations and to create contemplative live experiences that move our bodies, hearts, and minds to the rhythm of our highest selves. Thank you for showing up. Feel free to send us your stories, questions, and comments to anecdotalanatomy at gmail.com. As always, we want to thank our amazing editor, Judith George, Keith Kenny for our fun music, and Cindy Fatsis for our photos. Journey with us as we continue down the roads of discovery, taking the detours and meeting the mysteries. You are our why. See you next time.